Empower Radio presents The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. Are you hopeful, feeling inspired, and experiencing signs of healthy change all around you? Or maybe you're fearful, anxious, unsure about the radical nature of all the change that's happening. You might be feeling hopeless and helpless, not knowing if humanity can do what we know needs to get done to get through this profound whole systems change. Systems and structures are breaking down. We're witnessing crises after crises, chaos and unprecedented change. Everything and everyone on the planet is affected. There's a concerning trend I want to talk about today. I've been talking with evolutionary thought leaders whose innovative ideas are changing the world for the better. I've been talking with spiritual leaders whose faith and understanding light a path for others. Yet, I'm noticing that even those who are leading the change have moments and times of doubt and despair. Where do we find hope when the world is crumbling around us? How do we stay positive and trust the impulse of creation? One of my favorite people on the planet always says, God is up to something here. What is God up to? My guest today is the perfect person to continue this conversation with. I'm so happy to bring him to you. So I invite you to take a few deep breaths, open your heart and mind, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest the Reverend Canon Dr. Charles P. Gibbs, an Episcopal priest, Sufi by adoption, visionary, peace builder, and poet, has dedicated his life to serving the sacred in the world, especially through interreligious and intercultural engagement for peace, justice, and healing. Senior Advisor for Catalyst for Peace and Founding Executive Director Emeritus of the United Religions Initiative. He's an internationally respected spiritual leader, interfaith activist, speaker, and writer. He is currently working on a new volume of poems to follow up with light reading. Poems for a Pilgrim's Journey, for a Pilgrim Journey, and we've had him on the show talking about that book and other things, and I'm so happy that you've joined us again, Charles. Welcome back. Thank you, Julie. It's a great joy and a privilege to be with you uh, and to share a little in all the light you send out into the world. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And you know... Um, I have a traditional first question on the show, but as I begin a whole new series of conversations, I'm just going to hold that question and give it a twist here in a minute. But I just want to begin um, setting 
the stage for this conversation, Charles, by just talking. You and I were having a Zoom call to reconnect about five or six weeks ago. As friends, we were checking in with each other and catching up, and several things about our time together touched me. Just like really, there were so many things that are still reverberating in my consciousness. Most importantly, the poem you shared with me, A Transformed Tomorrow. That inspired this new series of conversations with evolutionary and spiritual thought leaders that we're going to have right here on the Dr. Julie Show. So before you read your poem, and I'm not going to ask you to read it anytime soon because I have some other conversation I want to kind of lay the framework before you share this poem. But before you do read that, here's the question with a a twist. I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners, what is a transformed tomorrow mean to you? Ah, an an easy question to start with. That's great. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was talking with my mother, who is 99, headed toward 100 a couple of days ago. We were talking about Christmas. uh, And she said, I've always loved Christmas. And I said, why, Mom? She said, well, because people seem to be happier and nicer to each other at Christmas. Mm. And I thought to myself, but didn't say to her, I always find myself getting a little melancholy around Christmas. And when I ask myself why that is, it's because it has always been so easy for me to see the vision that I interpreted Jesus to be talking about when he says that the reign of God, the sovereignty of God has drawn near. And when I see that, Martin Luther King put words to that, I think calling it the beloved community where there is mutuality and reciprocity, where love is more manifest than division, where the people who have fallen have help standing back up where no one is excluded and where we understand ourselves not just to be individual human beings or uh, a nuclear family or an extended family or a city or a religion or a culture or ethnic background or a state or a country We understand ourselves to be part of the whole earth community and beyond that, the community of the cosmos. And we live in conscious relationship to that wholeness, understanding that the good we send out, we will receive and that everyone has not only a sense of their own unique well-being, but a deep recognition that unique well-being depends on the well-being of the whole. And so everyone, each in our unique way, using the gifts we've been given, contributes to the well-being of the whole. And that is the whole Earth community, the whole cosmos, right down to our own household. To me, a transformed tomorrow is when that vision 
is as fully realized as humanly possible on this extraordinary planet. Mm. I just want to pause and take a breath and really allow our listeners to receive that. That was really incredible, Charles. And I'm with you on that fully realized potential here. I I just want to follow up with that, with a couple pieces here. Um, I love that you began with your mother and her her joy and, and happiness where she's seeing that everyone is happier and nicer and your melancholy. Um, this can be a time of melancholy for those. And I think we're going to get in this, into this deeper when we begin talking about a transformed tomorrow because that's what I'm sensing on so many levels from even those who have been the most hopeful in my life when they see what's going on on the planet they step back into that um, melancholy or doubt and despair and Christmas is a good example of just one event where you know the, the disparity between you and your mother with the joy and, and celebration and also that despair that people will go into with family comes down to this topic that you introduced is this idea that we are all a part of this whole earth community, this whole cosmos and, and this wholeness that you speak of. You mentioned the idea of ourselves being in relationship with that. So I want to follow up with that. And Charles, if you could perhaps um, expand on how do we as humans take a more active role and participate in this two-way relationship with the whole, with our earth community, with with God, creator source, with our planet, with this beautiful earth and all of creation. How do we come into an active, healthy relationship with the whole and not just go uh, cognitively, I understand I'm a part of the whole, but so what? I think it's all about that relationship that you brought forward. Well, um, to start with, I think many of us, by no means all of us, and I think <clears throat> historically and in the present tense, uh, males need this in a larger dose than females. We all need to imbibe some humility. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different theologies in different uh, religions and different understandings and different spiritual traditions that seem to uh, place humanity apart from everything else as something like the pinnacle of creation. And from that position, there is humanity and everything else. And by extension, there's the part of humanity I most identify with and everyone else. I think we need humility to say we are a part of everything. We aren't at the peak of everything. We don't 
control everything. That seems pretty abundantly clear right now. We don't know everything. That also seems pretty abundantly clear. And one of the things, Julie, that that has come to me again and again over the last, I would guess, decade is a, a sense that uh, a notion I grew up with that that God, the creative force in the universe, somehow privileged humanity over everything else. I've realized not only do I not believe that anymore, I think there's something, uh, and evidence would bear this out, destructive in the notion that humanity is somehow privileged and above, and that there is a a God out there who will swoop in and rescue humanity, even if we destroy everything else on this beautiful earth. I think we need to realign our belief system and our experience. One, One simple way to do that is to recognize that we simply could not exist without this earth and the life that is on it. We could not continue to live as individuals and as species. One uh, practical and spiritual exercise that I've learned from many different dimensions, and so many of the lessons I've learned in this realm come from the first peoples of this earth who live more nearly as part of the whole, I think, as as a, a group than any other groups I know. Uh, they've suffered a great deal. They have a great deal to teach. One of the simple exercises that I think any of us can do pretty much anywhere, unless we live in a desert, uh, is to go out for a walk and stop in front of a tree or underneath the crown of a tree and to recognize that the air we breathe in, that tree is breathing out. So it's here for us to breathe. And the carbon dioxide we breathe out, that tree breathes in. We are literally breathing in and out as part of a system with that individual tree in that moment. Writ large, humanity is breathing in and out with the rest of life on this earth. If we as individuals could do a simple exercise like that, say commit, I'll do that every day for a month. I think it begins to shift that sense of oneness from a purely intellectual notion to something our heart feels and knows deeply. Mm. I There's, again, um, so much right there, so much rich, rich and beautiful sacred words, Charles. I'm... I, I love the description of this interdependent relationship that we have with all life and um, the example of the tree is exquisite and you know we talk a lot about our relationship with water the same thing 
but going back to our relationships with humanity, when you were talking about humanity as this privileged and above species that that we've been in this illusion of, um, we've done that with the Western world too, right? The the white male dominant system that we created. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about the systems and structures that are breaking down, but. There's a couple pieces from your bio that I want to bring back or that I want to bring in for the first time because I edited down your bio in the introduction. But there were a couple of phrases that I wanted to bring into our conversation. And um, you just mentioned the interfaith piece of, of where um, where you come, your world. So I'm going to just I'm going to start there with your bio that reads in this first this first piece your bio says he charles is blessed with dear friends and colleagues of diverse faiths around the world with whom he shares a commitment to serve the world through spiritual transformation and cooperative engagement for the good of all life on this sacred earth. You just summarized that for us in that response. But there's more to unpack here, and this is your life work. First, can you share with our listeners, what does it mean to serve the world through spiritual transformation and cooperative engagement um, for the good of all life? You kind of just summarized that, but what I'm most curious about is putting a interfaith twist on this the the diverse faiths and and you have worked um tirelessly in this realm for so long so as we look at different faiths how can we bridge that that literally we go back to this humanity is privileged and above and if we can really truly adopt this idea that we are here to work together i'm wondering what that spiritual transformation and cooperative engagement can look like on an interfaith basis well i'll i'll start with a story uh, which i often use to help answer questions and it, it, it takes me back to uh, uh, early 2002 I'm in New York City for some meetings related to the UN. I needed to fly back home to San Francisco. I had a very early flight. I was staying down in southern Manhattan with a friend. and Actually, she was letting me use her apartment. She wasn't even there. I calculated I needed to be on the street about four in the morning to try to get a cab to get to the airport in good time. And this, of course, was well before you could schedule a Lyft or an Uber or <laughs> anything like that. So I thought I needed to give myself a lot of time. I, I got down to the street and I, I barely put my bag down on the sidewalk when a cab came around the corner. Uh, my first thought was there must be an angel behind the wheel of that cab. Mm -hmm. When I got in and began talking with the driver, I discovered the angel was a Pakistani Muslim. I asked him how life was for him still in the early months after September 11th. And he said, it's really hard. 
I, I've lost my job as an accountant. I'm driving a cab now as the one way I can make money. I've sent my family back to Pakistan because I feel it's safer for them there than here. Uh, and those words just were like daggers in my heart that someone who seemed to be such a good person would experience that. And then he asked me what, what I did. <clears throat> and I told him I was an Episcopal priest and my work was uh, going to all different parts of the world, meeting with people of all different traditions from all different vocational areas, exploring how we could work together for the good of all people in a local community, in a larger area, and ultimately for the world and the whole earth community. After a pause, he said, that is such important work. And I want to tell you something. For as long as I can remember, although I cherish being Pakistani and I've benefited so much from my homeland, I've always felt that before I was Pakistani, I was a citizen of the earth. And my faith as a Muslim has enriched my life and does every day. And still, I know that before I'm a Muslim, I'm a child of God. I said in response, I can't tell you how many times I've said the same thing. But instead of Pakistani, I've said American. Instead of Muslim, I've said Christian. But that experience raised up for me in a, in a really deep way was the understanding that we do all have a primary shared identity. We are all citizens of the earth and of the earth community. We are all children of the same source, no matter how you understand that source, whether it's from a purely scientific way, from your unique religion or spiritual tradition, no matter how we understand that there really is only one source. So I felt if, if we could cultivate the consciousness of our shared identity as citizens of the earth and children of one source, we could then celebrate our uniqueness as particular gifts as part of the flowering of that shared identity. And if we can do that, as we do that, it's easy to come together and say, how can we do something together to help address the challenges that face our local community, our country, our world, the earth community? For me, that is the, the, the core of transformation. Instead of seeing, to use Martin Buber's uh, uh, wonderful language, an I-it relationship, I'm the I and everyone else is an it, there is an I-thou relationship where we are mirrors in a way of each other, even as we are distinct. I believe that consciousness 
is critical. And if we don't know people of different faiths, I have a dear friend who wanted to be part of URI. She lives in Manila and she uh, didn't know anyone of another faith. She was grew up Roman Catholic in a country that's predominantly Roman Catholic. So she went to the yellow pages of her phone book and looked up other spiritual traditions, other religions, and began calling and found a handful of people who were interested in meeting and getting to know each other. And as they did that, they said, what can we do together to help our communities? Uh, over the course of a couple of years, they went into some of the most challenged and challenging areas of Manila, where often during meetings, they would have to fall to the floor to avoid gunfire and helped those communities discover within themselves the resources to be renewed, the resources to create their own livelihoods and the voice to demand the kinds of services that other communities had that they didn't. That's one small but amazingly impactful example of what can happen when we begin to see ourselves as one humanity and together to address particular issues. As we do that, we start to be interested in what is it about your faith as a Muslim or yours as a Hindu or yours as a Buddhist, yours as a Sikh? What is it from your cosmovision as a, a, an indigenous person that calls you to work for the good of all? We start to learn from and about each other from an appreciative place rather than an argumentative debate-focused place. Mm, that's a beautiful example and a beautiful invitation for all of us to come into that place. We have just a, a minute before we go to break, and then I want to talk about your poem. I'm going to ask you to read your poem right after the break. But Charles, before we do do that, um, the story was so sweet. And this Muslim saying, but before anything, I'm a child of God. And you're, you rephrased it as the same source. We're all a child of the same source, the same source. So often that word God, the label God, brings us into separation as we try to define and defend how we see God. Is there any one thing you could say um, just briefly here uh, that can help all of us come into this place that you were just describing where we really do experience the same source and not get stuck in the divisions that you talk about? One of the, one of the things that helps me a lot uh, Julie is a, a saying that is attributed to the Buddha who uh, when people were holding really tightly to his teachings and trying to enforce them in a certain way uh, said my teachings are like the raft to get you to the other shore or my teachings are like a finger pointing at the moon when the raft gets you to the other shore, you don't need the raft anymore. And it is a mistake 
to confuse the finger with the moon. I believe every person has the right to cherish their tradition, to hold it dear for the life it gives. And yet, our traditions, even as divinely inspired as we might understand them to be, have been delivered onto this side of the veil where there is nothing perfect. That transmission is always through a human being with partial understanding, even the most inspired. This is my belief. We get into trouble when we take those fingers and consider that they're the moon, and then we start fighting over our finger pointing at the moon rather than appreciating this incredible diversity of fingers all pointing at one source of light. Mm, I'm Dr. Julie Kroll. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show. We're here with the Reverend Charles Gibbs. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, you're going to hear this beautiful poem that inspired me and so much more. We'll be right back. All Things Connected on Empower Radio. Peekaboo, peekaboo, smile. Smile, buddy. Come on, smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. (sighs) Yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. You know how boys are. Or maybe he's teething. Oh, poor baby, I think his gums hurt. Maybe he's just tired. Or maybe his tummy hurts. He didn't eat that much. Maybe he's not ticklish. You think maybe he's scared of the dog? Maybe he'll outgrow it. Maybe it's a phase. Maybe he just doesn't like smiling. Maybe he has autism, and we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at autismspeaks.org signs, or see a doctor today for an autism screening. The sooner it's diagnosed, the better. And it can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Just now, another kid dropped out of school. There's one every 20 seconds. Over 200 kids an hour. That adds up to nearly 5,000 kids every school day. If we do nothing, 3.5 million kids won't receive a diploma over the next four years. But there is someone who can change that. And that someone is you. United Way knows that kids who have a caring adult in their life are more likely to make it. So make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because the path to success or failure starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Take the pledge to volunteer now at unitedway.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. When you have breast cancer, these are some of the first words you hear. HER2 new oncogene, ductile carcinoma in situ. What do they mean? How can you decide what to do if you can't even say what you have? This is Olivia Newton-John. You can go to breastcancer.org, a special place on the internet where you can learn how to say all those medical words and find out what they mean. Understand your diagnosis and your treatment options. Breastcancer.org. The first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. Today, you ate Greek yogurt. 
You took the train. You wondered why people spend so much time reading celebrity blogs. You read a celebrity blog. You planned a workout. You skipped it. You did all the things that one normally does the day before a devastating earthquake shakes the community to the ground. You never know when the day before is the day before. Prepare for tomorrow at ready.gov today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ed Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. And on the leading edge of personal, social, and global transformation, I invite you to be a way shower, a change agent, and make connections that inspire and accelerate our collective awakening and planetary healing. Stay connected every week with my newsletter where you'll find meaningful content, opportunities, and inspiration. You can sign up at juliecrawlemail.com. It's really simple, Julie, K-R-U-L-L, email.com. And I promise I do not spam, I do not sell, I do not give that away to anybody. I just use it to share what's going on here on the Dr. Julie Show and, and with the other work we're doing. So it's, it's a good way to stay informed of upcoming shows and get those links so you can easily click right there in your email box. I'm here today with the Reverend Charles Gibbs, and you can find so much more about his life and work and links to beautiful content at revcharlesgibbs.net, R-E-V, Charles Gibbs, G-I-B-B-S dot net. That's correct, right, Charles? Yes, it is. Okay. So go there and look up Charles. You won't be sorry. There's there's so much beauty and elegance that radiates from that website as well. So Charles, let's start this second half off with your poem, A Transformed Tomorrow. There's so much more I want to go into with everything that um, was emerging from your your words in the first half, but let's begin there and, and see where we go here. The second half, can you would you mind sharing your poem? And first, first, let's dig into where that poem came from. As a poet, how does the co-creative emergent voice or muse move through you? Was there anything significant going on in your life? when you were inspired to write this poem? Uh, yes, in fact. Uh, when I, I, in a sense, Julie, I feel like I received this more than wrote it. Yeah. Uh, and it was some years ago, uh, some of the listeners may know, some may not, of a spiritual organization called the Brahma Kumaris that was founded as a, a really a, a, a norm-shattering organization that promoted the spiritual leadership of women and daughters in pre-partition India uh, based on visions this uh, very successful and older jeweler had that there was something needed for the positive future of humanity 
and the need would come from the leadership of mothers and daughters, not fathers and sons. From that beginning, and they they were under a great attack from uh, the patriarchy of the time, and still in some places are, for the effrontery of believing that women could be spiritual leaders. And yet now they have over 4,000 centers around the world and have done uh, amazing good in so many ways. One of the things uh, that they have done for some years is to convene periodic dialogues called the Call of the Times Dialogue bringing together people from different parts of the world and different vocational areas to reflect deeply on what uh, they were experiencing as the call of that moment. I was at a call of the Times dialogue at the, uh, the, uh, the Brahma Kumari's Global Retreat Center outside of Oxford. And on the middle day of, of a three-day time together, we had, uh, from after a morning session that ended about nine o'clock until we reconvened about four in the afternoon, that whole time was in silence. I can remember going up to a room where uh, was a place people regularly meditated, so it had wonderful energy in it to start with. And my intention was simply to sit in silence which I did for some period of time, and then my hand started twitching. <laughs> so I opened my journal and started writing uh, and wrote until I seemed to be finished with what wanted to be expressed. And uh, a little later, I went to another place and a similar thing happened. And through the course of that silent time, I visited about four different places and in each one, something wanted to be written. Uh, that something came together as the first version of the poem, A Transformed Tomorrow. And over the course of, I guess now about eight or nine years, maybe 10, at different moments, I felt the calling to uh, adapt it a little, to enrich it, to open it. Uh, and so what I would share today is uh, in my code, when I look for it uh, on my computer, it's the fifth version. The heart of it is still intact, but it has grown a little over time. And always from some inner prompting that comes when I'm still and listening deeply. Beautiful. Okay. The words, the fifth version of this beautiful poem. I'm looking forward to sharing it. Thank you. Uh, so in the fifth version, there is a little preface. I turned 70 uh, this past April, and this version came shortly after that. I believe nothing is ever impossible. And yet, as I enter my 70th year, when I contemplate the future, my imagination is often trapped between the promise and the menace of this moment. Into that conflicted yet improbably hopeful space, I offer this poem, A Transformed Tomorrow. 
as all around us, suffering sisters and brothers, from infants to elders of all species, drench the earth we are despoiling with tears of anguish and rage. And old forms like parched plants wither away or hover at the edge of surrender, caterpillars entrusting all to an intuited chrysalis, or rage with the destructive fury of a galaxy of exploding stars. Humanity inhabits a present suspended between promise and menace. Humanity inhabits a present suspended between promise and menace, echoing an urgent cry. Come, you who would be the womb to guard and grow a transformed tomorrow. The hour is late, shadows lengthen. Come, you lost and forgotten. Come, you lonely and careworn. Come, you whose hearts are breaking. Come, you secure seeming in vaults of power. Come, you who embody compassion. Come, you who sail seas of change. Come, you who awaken with the sun. Come, you from all faiths and you from none. Come, elders and infants. Come, wise women and humble men. Come, red, yellow, black, brown, white. Come from the east. Come from the south. Come from the west. Come from the north. Led by fire, light, and love, we are the kindled spark called to conceive in co-creative goodness the already emerging future. Yes, the gestation will be long and often terrifying, but also overflowing with joy. So trust what grows in the nurturing dark. Yes, the hour is late and the shadows lengthen. Yes, the labor will be long and the pain fierce. But on the far side of advancing night, the sun will rise. New life will emerge. Perhaps in the dawning light, withered fields and forests will revive. New species will be born, the hoop of the nations healed, the circle of life restored to a new wholeness. Perhaps, may we awaken, may we awaken and in fire, light and love, labor as one, until this dawn of promise is delivered. Mm. 
Thank you, Charles. This first time I, I read, I heard you recite that to me, I was speechless and I again am speechless and we're not supposed to be speechless on a talk radio show. And here I am in this place. Wow, that's so beautiful. Y you know, we are inhabiting a presence suspended between promise and menace. And this, some of the phrases are are just jumping out at me, that echoing and urgent cry. And we are the kindled spark. I love that. And that the labor is long. So what would you um, want to add as this medicine for those who might be listening, feeling the labor is long right now? When you say, let's labor as one. Um, and also... Let me just add this twist. Oftentimes when we say a transform tomorrow, when we talk about tomorrow, it seems like that never comes, right? Tomorrow never comes because we're always in this present and in this moment. And and you wrote, inhabit, we inhabit a present suspended between promise and menace. But what if the, we're already induced into this transformed today what would you say to those listeners who are weary of this long labor we've been in oh, well to start with i would say i understand yeah I, i'm i'm weary and i'm in an incredibly privileged minority who uh doesn't have to worry that the color of my skin is going to make me a target or that my sexuality is going to make me a target or that my gender is going to make me a target. I have a, a, a nice home to live in and food on the table and I can pay my bills. The, the people I love most dearly, my family, are secure, as secure as anyone can be. Uh, and I am weary. I can only imagine for people who feel lost, alone, isolated, living on the edge of uh, being able to eat, uh, maybe waking up in the morning hungry and not knowing if they're going to eat that day, not knowing if the violence they can hear raging just a, a little ways away is going to sweep over them and destroy all they cherish and perhaps take their life. There are so many people living in fear and want right now. Uh, the, the labor I experience right now is tiny compared to that. One of the things I can do in my weariness is to realize, boy, there are a lot of folks out there who could use a little light right now. And maybe I need to uh, <clears throat> put my solar panels up and get a little light from the source that can come from, for me, from being still, from listening more deeply, from recognizing that our time individually and as a species 
on this planet is such a tiny, tiny part of the vast sweep of time we are one with. For me to to try to go into that awareness and care deeply in the present from the perspective of the vast, the eternal, um, there is a, a saying that, that I think I first heard in seminary when a teacher was talking about Jesus' understanding of the sovereignty of God. And the phrase was, already and not yet. It already exists. That transformed tomorrow already exists and yet it does not yet exist in its fullness. And for us on a particular day, month, year, we may struggle to get any glimpse of it already existing. And yet, I believe in my heart, if we look out onto the world with eyes seeking to see manifestations of the already, we can find them. We can be drawn into relationships that help us experience that, that kindle at least a tiny flame of hope. And even if the winds are swift and threaten to blow it out, we can huddle together and protect that tiny flame. And with that, find our way into the challenging labor that is ahead. Nothing is guaranteed right now, I don't believe. And yet everything is promised. I believe we have to live as fully as we can in the promise and be as realistic as we can about the challenge and to know that we are never, no matter what we might feel, we are never alone. We can always connect. And, and Julia, I just want to thank you for having this space where people can connect, where people can get their solar panels recharged a little bit and find some renewed energy to move through the difficult labor of today and tomorrow. Thank you, Charles. I love the metaphor of the solar panels. That is so uh, perfect for us to understand how we can be medicine in the world for others. And it's a good call, a good invitation for all of our friends out there listening that, that we can receive that light to help others even you know plug in and and get there and and this phrase nothing is guaranteed and everything is promised it takes me back <clears throat> to excuse me the idea that i brought up in the intro with my friend who would always say god is up to something here and even in the most challenging issues and times and crises and devastation you know we just had this huge weather event over the weekend that was devastating you know when we think of climate change and political upheaval and 
a global pandemic. I mean, there's so much happening in the world. What would you say? I, to me, it's good medicine to say, oh, th- that promise is there because God is up to something here. So even if nothing is guaranteed and everything is promised, we can turn to that idea that God is up to something here. Can you expand on that? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll start by going back to, to what you said which uh, earlier, which was recognizing that, that that word God can be a challenge for some people and perhaps mm-hmm. even for some listening to this show. So I might reframe that slightly by saying that the creative energy of the universe is up to something here. Yeah. That energy is always uh, around us, in us, through us, and it is always inviting our co-creativity. I believe that energy is an energy that draws us toward wholeness, that draws us to recognize our fundamental oneness, that draws us into a relationship of deep reciprocity, where we realize that all we have and all we are has come as gift. Yes, it's up to us to decide what to do with the gift we've been given. But we would not be here without the gift we've been given, the gift of life and the gift of all things that support life. To abide in that place and to realize that we are part of a vast flow of creative energy from before the beginning and will extend long past the end and in some traditions the end loops around and is simply a new beginning that we are part of that vast cycle and invited each in our unique way there's no one like us each one of us is unique and we have unique gifts to offer to me the invitation The something that that energy is up to is an ongoing invitation to each of us to be our deepest, truest, fullest selves and to offer that deep, true, full self as a gift to the world that has gifted us with life. Mm. Thank you, Charles. It's gorgeous. And we have just a few minutes left here in the show, uh, about five, maybe four here. But part of what I hear you saying as, as I'm listening over the, the last almost hour of this beautiful conversation and when I go to also your your life gifts that you've served humanity in so many beautiful ways – teaching us in this way I think about serving the sacred and and having that be an invitation or even a, a healing bomb for all of us that when we shift out of ourselves and and think larger like you were talking about with 
this the whole of who we are as an earth community the whole of who we are as the cosmos um, when we step out of our individual selves feeling the labor and and ready to give up I know my first really long um, labor and delivery experience there were times I said I just want to go back I want it all to stop I just want to stop and I couldn't you know so maybe if you could in in two minutes or so talk about serving the sacred what does that look like if we all get out of ourselves and and really give to this higher um, design that you're talking about uh, well well first of all I would say uh, we don't need to get out of ourselves. We need to get into ourselves mm. deeply. We need to get into the core of who we are. We need to get into our beauty. We need to get into our gifts. We need to love ourselves as expressions of the source of all life. And in doing that, we need then to look outward and love everything we see as an equal expression of that source. That, to me, is what serving the sacred is. Uh, there are debates about the sacred and the profane. I think the profane is when we fail to see the mirror of the source of all that is looking back at us when we behold what is outside us, or when we behold ourselves. To serve the sacred for me is to go to that deep place, to find the essence of the source within me, and to connect with it everywhere I see, everywhere I go, and to ask, what am I called to be and do that can help that reflection shine more brightly, help it thrive, in all I see. Mm, right there takes us back to being that solar panel again. Thank you for that invitation, Charles. Um, to me, that that piece is so sweet, and it's a it's a tool that we can all take from this conversation today and go out there and say, "Yeah, let me be charged. Let me receive, so that I can see, perhaps." the ways that um, I might not shine as much as I could, or I might allow different pieces of my life to to block that and inhibit that in, in some ways. So thank you. This is beautiful medicine. Charles, again, I, I could do this series, uh, 12 conversations with you alone, because you, every time we talk, you inspire me and, and I feel... Um, so much gratitude for for that. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's really my my pleasure and privilege, Julie. And I would say back at you, it is an inspiration always to be in conversation with you and uh, uh, a source of inspiration to know you're out and about in the world. Mm, thank you. And thank you, listeners for tuning in. I just want to leave you with these ideas of Charles today that here we are, we inhabit a present that is suspended between promise and menace. Yes, we're hearing that echoing cry, that urgent cry. So remember, we are the kindled spark. We are that solar plan panel. 
You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.